Um, welcome to another JetBridge podcast, work from home edition, or as my wife says, just another excuse to drink. Uh, our guest is actually a good friend of mine, Artem Pazichnik, probably not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Artem originally came from Ukraine and became a very successful software developer here Silicon Valley, and now has a startup of his own. All right, welcome, Artem. Um, give us a background on yourself. You know, when I first looked at your LinkedIn, I thought four months at a bank, four months here, another four months there. This does not look like a very good software developer, right? <laughs> I'm always telling my uh, HR team, like anyone that can't last for more than a year anywhere, like, you know. Um, so tell us about your journey. How'd you go from being an intern working on C-sharp stuff to uh, get into Facebook. Yeah, so um, I probably should make sure to add intern at the end of all of those, those uh, <laughs> like job listings. Um, but so I, my family moved to Toronto in 98. Um, I, I guess I can go a little further back like from when I got into CS. Uh, I had no interest in CS until I basically got into the software engineering program at Waterloo. Um, I was like, I was pushed in that direction by, uh, by my dad who's in software. He's like, this is a great, a great career path. Like you can build things, make a lot of money, like do, do real life for yourself. Um, but I was always kind of stuck on this idea of building things like, like tangible products. I love Legos. I love like building forts and like coming up with all these ideas for tree houses and like bridges and the ravine behind my house and all that stuff. Um, and every time I did like a, any kind of aptitude testing in, in high school, it always came up like industrial designer or like project manager, like a construction site, like that kind of thing. Um, and so I took a CS class in high school and I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I can see myself doing this. Um, and then I took another one in the, so I, I did 10th grade, 11th grade and 12th grade CS. Um, but when I applied to university, it was almost like 80% of my applications were to physics programs. Um, and then two were to software, one at U of T and one at Waterloo. Uh, I told my dad, he said that it was kind of a, he, he questioned what I wanted to do with my life. He, he asked like, do you want, do you want to uh, make good money and like progress in a career and like work in any industry or do you want to like spend the entirety of your career in physics? Like, like uh, teaching lectures, right? Like working, working on things that are more theoretical than, than, um, than have real applications. And ultimately, like I got into, I got into Waterloo, which I didn't think I would. Um, it was like a once in a lifetime thing. I didn't think that I would, I would get to that. Like I didn't feel like that was for me, um, but I got it. Um, went in with like decent grades uh, and then just went through the whole co-op program. So all those four month internships you saw, that was Waterloo's five-year co-op program where for the first eight months you, you do a pretty, pretty rough set of uh, like first year classes that are more, mostly like generic engineering. And then you start switching off every four months between work and school. So I did that for, for five years, got a chance to work at uh, a combination of banks and startups and the Toronto Transit Commission, and then eventually PagerDuty and then two internships at Facebook. Um, while I was doing that, I was also doing like a, an on-campus startup incubator program, had a few like company ideas, that kind of thing. Um, it was, it was just a fun experience. I didn't actually expect that I would, I would start something really at the end of the right. day. 
it was a, a fun concept to like follow Paul Graham at Paul Graham essays and like read up on, uh, on um, hacker news. Uh, and then, yeah, and then Facebook just kind of happened out of nowhere. I thought I was joining, I was joining Facebook when it was about 4,000 people, um, back when I thought that this company won't be around in a few years. Like, this is just a fad. It'll be cool to see how it all like explodes in this giant blaze of glory. Um, and then I got in and just, I loved it. Um, I love the culture, I love the people, I love the impact that you could have as an independent engineer, as an intern, no less. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just went, went from there. I could talk about the whole startup story too, but maybe that's a separate. Yeah, topic. well, you so you got to see um, a successful startup, PagerDuty, uh, a old stodgy bank, and how the developers worked there. What surprised you about the way developers worked at Facebook? Was there a a unique culture there? Yes, it, I mean it certainly changed over the years, but when I started there, it was this like beautiful culture of just trust. Like you're in, we know you're an intern, but like someone else vetted you, they know you're great. So like, I'm going to assume that you're great. Here's like, here's the entire code base. Here's all the data. Here's like all the agency that you need to go and like make an impact and like build cool stuff, have at it. Um, as an intern, that was a little more managed. Like you had a manager who was directly working with you. Like, here's your project. Like you can explore, but like really your goal is to do this one thing over the course of three or four months. Right. Um, but as a full-timer, I remember my first like three months of work, I was just, I hit the ground running um, and I was working on uh, pretty foundational pieces of infrastructure. And I was going in and like actually changing, um, changing code for like the photos team and for the newsfeed team at a very fundamental level. And every time that I would like set up a meeting to talk with them, it was always, like, I, would, I would frame it like, hey guys, I'm gonna, I'm, I just started here, I'm a new grad. Um, I don't necessarily understand your code base, which is why I'm asking you for help, but here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like accomplish this goal, which I think is good for all of us. And across the board, like it was, sounds good, how can I help? Like we, we just believe that you're gonna do your best work here and like we'll help you get there. Um, and that was just something that I haven't really experienced since outside of, outside of Canix, which is my current company. Interesting. That, that really is a lot of trust to put in a new developer. Um, so your, your job is great. We know the, the lunches and the food at Facebook is amazing. The pay is, you know, um, in the top 5% and that's for the Bay area. Um, why leave? Why leave and do your own startup? What was that itch? Was it just the idea was so good or did you feel like it was time to strike out on your own? It was just good timing across the board. Um, but more than anything, like I've, I've been asked this question a lot by, um, perspective hires and investors and all that. And really what it boils down to is like my co-founder. Um, it was getting a chance to work on this particular problem with her. Like that was the, that was the big ceiling point. Um, so I, I love that. So for, for context, my, my company is working on, um, it's working in the cannabis industry to build out like a foundational ERP for companies to help manage their entire business end to end. Um, I had spent four years at Facebook working on emerging markets and financial access and um, uh, internet access uh, in places like the Philippines. So like emerging markets, there's a ton of low hanging fruit. You put in one unit of, of effort and you get a hundred units of impact back. Mm -hmm. um, and this just felt like an extension of that, but at our doorstep. Um, cannabis companies can't get banked. They don't have access to like, like security or insurance or payments. Um, they're over-regulated, overtaxed, and like everything is just difficult. So every, every little thing that I can do is, is a huge help. Um, but do, I would never do that with, 
with somebody that I didn't believe in as, as a CEO and as a co-founder. And with us, it, it just, from the beginning, it was like really open communication. What do you like? What do you dislike? Rating one to 10, like how are you feeling about us and the company? And on a regular cadence, just keeping that communication open. Um, and seeing, seeing in both of us that like drive to build something big, not to like, you know, work at it for a few years, get burnt out and exit, but like we're in this to win it. Right. Um, that kind of feeling. Right. You know, um, I felt the same way about my first and second startups. Um, I met a group of engineers at each of those two companies and I felt like, I just want to ride with these guys. Like they're just so fucking smart and like they haven't, haven't, you know, they don't have everything figured out yet, but like, I, just, I feel like they're going to figure it out. Um, so with Canix, your startup now, um, what was the funding process like? Because you're not a, obviously you don't come from an MBA background, you're a scientist. What was that like for a, a, someone with a science background trying to raise money from a bunch of VCs? Uh, Stacy did it. <laughs> I was there to talk about it. <laughs> That's I why you found a good partner. Like, exactly, yeah. I mean, she comes from investment banking. Like she mm -hmm. built out all her financial models and forecasting mm -hmm. and like she knows the, the lingo way more than I do. Um, I was just kind of like the, the person to sit there and like, uh, talk about our engineering best practices and infrastructure and hiring and like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to put the Facebook brand on our team slide, slap right. Facebook on there, that kind of thing. Well, you know, listen, I've raised a bunch of money. Um, and usually as the meetings get more serious, you have to bring in your CTO and she or he will really kind of act as your partner in, in crime uh, to really close the deal or close the funding, right? So, I mean, is one of the lessons there is if you're the technical founder or co-founder or early um, employee, that you really wanna look for someone that, that can do the, the fiscal, the economic stuff for you? Yeah. Um, it, that's the, actually the cool thing about us as a, as a, as a duo is Stacy is technical. So she can go into an investor conversation and talk about our engineering best practices, talk about infrastructure challenges, like general approaches, um, and like get 90% get of it. Um, and I don't necessarily have to be there to, to have those conversations. Got it, um, got it. We, we built out the, the fundamental portions of Canix together as a unit. Got it. You and I spoke about this briefly about how product market fit is, you know, it's an elusive kind of elastic term for you generally at Canix and at the other projects that you've worked on, to you, how do you define product market fit? Uh, for us, product market fit has been when people tell you that you have product market fit. Um, when you talk about your numbers and your growth rate and people are like, I've seen people who have seen this happen before, like Y Combinator, um, just having them like kind of echo that sentiment, that's, that's what it's been for us. Right. Um, it's hard for me to, I feel like, product, like you said, market, product market fit is an elusive thing. Um, and especially for what we're building, it's, it's an ERP. It's this all-inclusive thing. Like we're, it's going to be many, many years before we meet the needs of all of our customers, um, like across the board. So it's hard. I could say that we have product market fit on features, but as a company, it's really hard for me to just like make that statement. Right, right. Um, you know, a lot of early software products kind of satiate, you know, uh, or make happy the early adopters. But then later as you kind of move to the right of 
you know, Moore's curve of adoption, the second or third wave of customers is kind of a totally different customer, right? Like we experienced this in my first startup, Five9, where we went from SMB to mid-market customers. And the mid-market customers were totally different than the SMB. For Canix, is your customer base or your, your ideal customer profile, do you guys expect it to remain steady throughout the life cycle of the company? I do not. Um, partially because we are moving up market to like larger enterprise deals and um, to like, like up the supply chain from like cultivation to manufacturing, distribution, extraction, et cetera. Um, so those, those needs will change. But more than anything, cannabis will change. Like as an emerging market, it is, we're kind of on, on um, like shifting uh, on unsteady footing as an entire industry. So regulation will change. States will legalize like we saw this last Tuesday. Um, uh, taxes may go up or down, which will incentivize businesses to grow or, or force them to shrink. Um, federal legalization may hit or cross-state transfers may hit. Like all this stuff is just, it's just um, you know, every six months we can encounter like substantial change in the market. Um, and so we're very cognizant of that and ready to just like make changes. Um, and that's one of the benefits of, of staying lean. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of interest in the Bay Area to raise a ton of money and become a 200 person startup. Um, as soon as possible, but we are we are very explicitly avoiding doing that. To um, to I mean, a act as a forcing function for us to focus on like the P zero, the the most important thing for our customers, um, and second to help us be nimble to like adapt um, as things inevitably will change. Yeah. Speaking of being a nimble small team, you guys came through Y Combinator. Would you suggest that as a, a good first option for any developer that? wants to submit their idea and have their own startup? I would, even if it's just for like the, the interview, actually even just filling out the application really makes you question, um, do I want to do this? Like, oh, this actually seems pretty hard. Do I want to do this? Um, is my idea worth pursuing? Do I have any metrics to back it up? Or is this just like some pie in the sky thing? Um, then the interview comes and they just blast you with questions for like 10 minutes, things that you wouldn't necessarily have considered. Um, you can practice all you want, but they always, from my experience, or from what I've heard, they just, they find holes and they make you, they force you to fill those holes ASAP. Um, and more than anything, like what YC is looking for isn't necessarily even the idea, it's the team and how you, how you perform in that interview. Um, and that's another really good, just like uh, test of, of your, your collaboration is how we perform that, that high stress situation. Um, I definitely recommend YC in general, like the entire program, but even, a, even the application is, is worth pursuing. Interesting. And what was that like during the, uh, the incubation period? Did, did it yeah. feel like you guys were just constantly grinding or were you guys able to have some work-life balance during the, the entire so school? No, it was, it was grinding. Um, it was a lot of work, uh, but it felt good. YC is just, I, I see it as like startup founders anonymous. Um, there's actually, we, we got way less time with our partners than we thought we would to our benefit. I think at the end of the day, I thought it would be this like whole program. Here's week one, week two, week three, but really it's like, Hey, welcome. Here's, here's weekly office hours to like ask, you know, very specific questions for half an hour. Um, here's like some general resources and guidelines. 
But more than anything, here's the community. Here's like your fellow co-founders, like the cohort of two or 500 other founders um, who are doing the exact same thing as you. And here's weekly dinners for you to check in and like help hype each other up, share stories, um, and like really act as a support as a community for, for, um, for startups. I really wish I had YC when I was starting um, in the tech land in 2004. You know, back then it seemed a lot lonelier and there were, there were silos of incubators, but none of them were very successful. None of them had that kind of program um, of success. And the alumni network was, you know, non-existent. I've always wondered at YC, what's more valuable? The office hours with famous ex-founder or famous VC or Brian Chesky at Airbnb? Or is it really just having that sense of community and alumnus with the other, as you said, few hundred folks like that are kind of grinding it out with you? The partners are there to poke holes, basically. Um, you get half an hour with them or you get group office hours and you talk about what you're up to and they will, they will find all the things that are wrong. They'll ask mm -hmm. you how you're gonna fix them and then hold you accountable the next time you meet. I see. That's I see. like, they kind of, not to say they knock you down, but like they really make you think like, am I doing the right thing? The community is there to reinforce like, oh, I am doing the right thing. Like startups, you may, you may think like, what the hell am I doing? I just quit Facebook. Like, why am I spending 12 hours working on this like random app? Like, is this gonna even go anywhere? And then you go to a YC dinner and you realize that like, there's 300 other people with you doing the exact same thing because they believe in something like greater. Um, so it's just kind of this like beautiful support network that I think to, to be a successful founder, um, you need perseverance. You need, uh, I guess, not stamina, but like you should be able to overcome like really hard times and not just once or twice, not for six months, yeah. but for years yeah. and years. Um, and that support network is the thing that allows you to, to really overcome that. Yeah. You know, one of my two mentors um, in well, business and life, uh, Bill Kimball said to me many years ago, he said, John, entrepreneurship is the ability to get up from a knockout punch. I, I never forgot that because it just feels like you're constantly getting punched in the face. <laughs> and, you know, I remember um, Justin Kahn from Twitch invited a bunch of us to uh, a luncheon when he was um, uh, still running his uh, last company, The Legal Startup. And um, uh, there was a, a really nice VC from Battery. And uh, he was talking to me like I had all the answers, you know, because uh, I was on my third startup at JetBridge. And uh, I told him, you know, uh, again, he comes from a finance, not an operator background like us, right? Um, so I told him, you know, if you choose a new industry for each startup, it doesn't feel like there's that much from your previous startup that's going to help you with your new one, right? Like I went from call center to healthcare, now software outsourcing. It's like, it, it just feels like you're charging the hill um, again, every time. And, and then there's always someone on the hill to like punch you in the face. <laughs> um, speaking of getting punched in the face in a startup, obviously at Facebook, you have so many resources. What's the one thing you miss about, big company fang resources? Hmm. Headcount? Oh, man, yeah. Just like, 
sending a ping out to your manager or your director and being like, I need three more people and then having them just there and pre-vetted and wow. like amazing. Um, and being in a situation where you're fighting for like this pool of incredible candidates who are like at your doorstep or ready to work with you and you have to like fight for all of them. Um, it's, and having this like amazing well-oiled like recruiting machine, just like churning in mm. amazing candidates. Um, now it's like basically just me. <laughs> like I, I have to be that recruiting machine and contribute technically and manage right. people. Um, it's just, yeah, that's, that's definitely the biggest thing I miss. Sourcing in the real world outside of a tech company is, is so difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, we know we go through this every day. Um, in fact, we lose some developers in the final rounds of interviews to Facebook. Um, they're, they're a tough competitor when it comes to recruiting. Well, let me ask you, um, when you were at Facebook, uh, there must have been a lot of kind of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's the reason why Donald Trump's in office. Um, I mean, without making, you know, any political judgments. Um, did you feel like, and not just Facebook, but social media in general, did, did you feel like this responsibility, like, hey, we're working on this, you know, um, this kind of nexus of global communication, we have to get everything right? Um, or just day to day, are you guys kind of so deep in the weeds that uh, that kind of feeling doesn't really hit you guys? It, the... I think at least my experience at Facebook and the people I knew, um, our, our experience was that we knew that there was a, a strong responsibility that Facebook had and we really were doing our best. Like everyone around us was like well-intentioned, intelligent, but also trying to work within the confines of like what we were given, right? Um, like Facebook, we, you can't censor, censor people who like, you can't censor hate speech all the time because there is an element of like free speech there, right? Um, people should be able to speak mistruths and say, say negative things about one another. That's just like a part of communication. Um, and there was this like strong sentiment that the onus shouldn't be on Facebook. It should be on other third parties, on governments, on, on people, right? To, to really regulate themselves. Right. Um, and that, that seemed to make a lot of sense because again, you look around at, at like, you know, Zuck's weekly Q and A's and everyone that's posting internally and all, it's all just really, really well-intentioned. Right. Um, and there's like, like I said, that element of trust, right. Internally. So you look at all the, all the negative press and you think that's, that's hyperbole, right. The, that quote they got from this one person that must be taken out of context. These aren't, that's not the people I know. Um, having, having not been at Facebook for two years, I've definitely like switched that perspective. Um, like I, it's a bubble at the end of the day, like Facebook's employee, uh, like, um, as a company has a very different perspective on the world than, than the rest of it. Uh, bubble's uh, a nice word. I've heard people say cult. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, for the record, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of, um, what you guys and gals did. Uh, my friend Kat Lee was also an early, um, developer, uh, product scientist, um, at Facebook. I mean, look, for me, I derive so much value out of Facebook. It's how I keep in touch with my friends, especially during COVID. My mom always knows what I'm up to and where I'm at. I asked my wife out on Facebook Messenger because I'm a chicken shit. 
Uh, I didn't want to do it in person because <laughs> I thought she would say no, which she did. Um, but Facebook has brought so much value uh, to my and just a lot of other people's lives. I always thought it was a bit unfair to like just put everything on Zuckerberg's shoulders, you know, like, hey, how come this one thing on Tuesday at three, you know, like it's it's a it's a huge, huge thing uh, to manage properly and make everyone happy. Um, I got two last questions, and this comes from my engineering team. And one of it you touched on earlier. You know, we work with a lot of young developers, um, mathematically bright, spiritually passionate and ambitious, but not a lot of experience. And I think one of the challenges that we have is something you touched on earlier, which was when you needed something, you hit up a manager at Facebook and said, this is what I need and this is why I need it. Um, which I thought was so important because the, the need behind the need or like what's behind your request, what's behind the, um, the need, right? Um, how do you frame that or how did you go about doing that at Facebook? Did you kind of have a template for the ask and then unbundling why you're asking? Uh, at first, I mean, Facebook really, it changed a lot as uh, in the four years that I was there, I guess six years if you get internships. Um, it used to just be, you sent the request, you didn't really necessarily need to give a reason. It was just that like assumed positive intent, like you know what you're doing, you need a headcount, go for it. You need a business classified to the Philippines, go for it. Um, one of my like <laughs> most interesting experiences at the onset was we had a, uh, we had a very small team, like the, the beginnings of like internet.org basically, um, but that's it, kind of an offshoot of that. Um, and one of our PMs was like, I wonder like, is there something we could do in, uh, I think it, it must've been somewhere, somewhere in Africa. He's like, I wonder if there's something we could do there. Um, and his boss was just like, oh, why don't you just head down there for a week? And like same day, bought a flight, just like took a week off, went and like did on the ground research, um, like, bought a awesome. bought a phone and like went around and talked to people came back with a bunch of learnings and just like went back to work um at the later stages of of my time at facebook that would have required like an approval like you right. got to talk to someone you have a budget you know all that right. stuff um and you really do have to have a good business reason i'm i'm going to travel i'm going to take this trip because my team has this goal and when i take this trip it's going to help me unlock these things which will help us build this feature which will help us achieve that goal that kind of thing um right. Really, it was, it was still, even at the end of it, it was straightforward. You just didn't need a narrative and you needed a number behind what you were about to do. Got it. Got it. How do you, um, or do you, when you work now with your team and they have a certain ask, do you make them kind of unbundle it and, and give a, a, a why behind the why? Or are you guys still too small for that? I think, I mean, when, if you're, if we're talking about spending a hundred thousand dollars, like we're going to have a question because we're not Facebook. We don't have, we don't have unlimited budget. Um, otherwise, if it comes to like tech, like you want to build something that you think is cool, that is impactful, like we should be aligned on it. You want to, you want to mention it. You shouldn't just do it. But yeah, most of the time there's no reason not to. Um, that actually, that actually bleeds well into um, the second question my dev team had for yeah. you, which is, how do you balance developers' freedom of being able to experiment with cutting edge solutions and tools with the need to get things done on time? Yep. 
you align on goals. You align on like, what is the actual impactful thing for the company? Like we all, we all have the same goal, which is to, to make sure Canix succeeds. Um, to make sure we succeed, we have, to, we have to make more money, have more customers, have better infrastructure and like um, tooling for our CS team and for our engineering team. Like as long as we are all aligned on that, that like target, everything else just falls into place. Um, and we can very clearly talk about, you know, stack rank priorities, what's the highest impact thing that's going to help us hit our goals and what's, what's just not important right now. Um, every week we, we check in on MRR, we talk about like new markets opening up, um, important features that customers are asking for. Like if there's churn, we have long conversations about like what caused that churn, how do we prevent it from happening again? Um, it's just making sure that everyone's involved and on the same page versus I know I've spoken to a ton of candidates who like they hear that and are like, what? That's so outside of anything I've ever experienced. Um, where you have like a PM and a tech lead and like the CEO and they get together in a room and then they build out the sprints for the next three months and they just hand out tasks and you have story points. So you just, you just have like a team of, you know, um, like really like siloed engineers working on specific tasks and like, their, their mission isn't to help the company succeed, it's to just close out story, like get more story points. Um, and that just is not the right way to run a company in my opinion. Got it. Last question. What does success for you and Canix look like? And, and when is I, that? Like, yeah, I actually had this it, exact question asked uh, earlier today by a candidate. Um, there, there's success for Canix as a company and success for me. Success for me is building something that lasts. I don't want to like not not to be grandiose, but like a legacy, something that that like I have I've like stamped something in um, like the history of the world, and specifically like this this emerging market, which I think has a ton of potential um, and will do a lot of good for for the country. Um, and then for the company, uh, we're not we're we're in a really interesting spot. Like we're we have really solid growth in a, in a market that is underappreciated and often overlooked. Um, and I, I see a clear path to us becoming like the, the cannabis ERP, like the thing that powers the entire industry. Um, and that, that's not gonna happen through an acquisition two years from now. That's not gonna happen through, I don't know. It basically, it, it means an IPO. It means like we, we keep going, we do this for five, 10, 15, 20 years and build something big. Nice, I love it. You know, um, I said, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, and when you said to build something that lasts, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my CTO, Andrew, at my first startup. We were making, amongst the first wave of cloud-based call center software. And at the time, we thought it was a good idea. We just had no idea how big the industry we were about to birth. And, um, now, every time a telemarketer calls me on my phone, I just think, fuck, like, why did I build this thing? I mean, it just annoys the <laughs> shit out of people all over the USA. And, you know, I did a second startup to actually build something that lasts, that I thought would be good for society, or at least something that I could be proud of, um, which was doctor-based, let patients and doctors communicate through their phones. Um, and when we were acquired, our acquirer, Cario, which is a great company, great culture. I really enjoyed my year there. But uh, for whatever reason, they decided to kill the product, right? <laughs> like that's, that's what I've got now as my legacy is um, 
annoying the shit out of people on their phones. So I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> at JetBridge, you know, uh, I can tilt it back into, uh, you know, good karma balance by um, having a bunch of international software developers, hopefully, hopefully one day be as successful as you are. <laughs> hopefully. All right. Well, thank Maybe you so done. much. I really appreciate it. Really, really That's appreciate it. And um, yeah, looking forward to having a drink in person. Yeah. All right. Thanks, brother. Have a good one.